Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn. These conversations focus on the intersection of technology, business, and humanity, exploring how these three areas impact each other. Dr. Wynn interviews guests, including business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts in various fields to share insights and experiences on cybersecurity, risk management, and leadership. The podcast aims to provide a fresh perspective on how technology can be leveraged to create positive change in the world. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I am your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us today, Jane Franklin. Jane is the founder and CEO of New Start and founder of The Source Platform. She built her global hacking firm in the late 1990s, has worked as an executive for world-renowned consultancies, and has contributed to leading industry accreditations, schemes, and forums. She is a popular keynote speaker, board advisor, university guest lecturer, and awards judge, and she regularly shares her expertise in iconic world media outlets. She's known for spotting trends, bringing teams together for mutual wins, and quickly uncovering root problems with their remedies. She believes the world will only become safer, happier, and more prosperous when more women are in male-dominated industries. And it's why she authored her best-selling book, Insecurity. Wikipedia and LinkedIn recognize her as a top voice, and UNESCO has called her a trailblazing woman in technology. She is following her passion to make women in cybersecurity a standard, not an exception. Jane, it's great to see you again. Welcome to the show. Amazing. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm so happy to be here. Can you explain to our audience how you started out? Because when you first went to university, technology wasn't even on the radar for you. So how did that journey go? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I was following my passion, which was art and design. So I have a degree in woven technology. Woven, not technology, woven textile design. I was going to say, yeah, woven woven textile design. And so what happened to me was my parents always said, do what you love, do what you're good at. And, and I was very arty. So that's what I chose to do. And was doing actually really well as a designer. I was nominated as a young British designer after graduating, but I fell pregnant with my first um, child. I've got three children, two boys and a girl. So I fell pregnant just after graduating with my son and continued working as a designer for a little while. And I got an agent, I was selling work all all around the, the world. I was showing in some amazing galleries as well, but the money wasn't, the money wasn't, um, really coming in so for me I was a single parent and I needed to make a decision I needed to make a change and go and get a proper job which is what I was told to do go and get a proper job you've done your art for seven years it's time to go and get a proper job so I retrained and that's really how it all started I went straight into building a business in technology and specializing in security, information security, IT security, which is what it was called then. But that's really how how my career and my entry into happened. How did you choose technology? What leads you on that journey? Because there's a lot of different fields out there. I even love this. It was actually love. Yeah. So yeah, I got a new boyfriend and found love and 
he was in technology and he said to me after I got this sales job and kind of I, w- I was doing really well in the sales job and I never saw myself as a salesperson because I'm an introvert and it was the last thing that I wanted to do but what I didn't recognize was that I had been selling my artwork when I was trooping around the galleries saying will you show my work that was selling and when I did various other things in order to go away on holiday with a boyfriend that was still selling so I was very good at solving problems and I could sell I just didn't really realize that I could and so when I met this guy he was in in tech he was director at a company but he wanted to start a new company and he just said to me hey shall we go and do this and I was looking for a new challenge I like a challenge and that's how it all happened and how I said yes to him and I didn't know really anything about technology I would actually say I was certainly at that time (laughs) mega luddite I had all the tech that was handed down to me by by my brother yeah that's how I got into technology and because I didn't know anything about really technology the two areas that interested me were AI which was far too new in in 1997 that was just too new and the other was security and security was, was emerging security was feasible you could build a business um with security or you certainly could lead with that in those in those days so that's how I ended up doing what I do amazing because if you think back there the late 1990s and 2000 cybersecurity is not the cybersecurity of 2023 so how did you go about even starting to learn about a field that was very young during that period of time I just, I really just did what I'd always done. I, I learned how to communicate. So I learned the language, some of the terms, and I served. So I never pretended to be something that I wasn't. So I listened really well. I knew how to sell. I knew how to sell in a consultative manner. I knew what our company's strengths were, and I knew the vision that we had for the company. So I sold on that, and I sold on really great customer service and what the client wanted. I knew where we were strong. I knew our market and I knew what our clients wanted. So I just went out to serve. I didn't need to be technical. What I did need to do was to go and ask questions and to be able to get the answers for my clients and to be able to to make sure that they were getting a really high level of service because that's what my penetration testing company back in in the day was all about we were highly flexible we were really unique we were high-end we only served a limited number of, of clients and we were so absolutely amazing we were so good at what we did and for me that's just how I dealt with it and what you brought up a um, few times now is about really listening to the customer and, and, and really trying to meet those needs. And I see that today is very lacking. When when I talk to vendors and I'm looking at products out there, it's one size fits all. And I'm like, you don't even understand my company. You don't understand the sector that I'm in. You don't understand what our objectives are. You don't understand our roadmap. What do you see lacking? And how do you see that those people can improve themselves? And the second part 
how should we take more responsibility as cyber leaders to do a better job on getting those great partnerships that can be with us three years, five years, and seven years down the road versus one and done every year you're changing vendors? Yeah. It's got to be built on relationships, hasn't it? So it's the biggest kind of, because there are two big questions that you've just asked there. For me, it is all about the long term. It's not about the the short term. And it is about building relationship. You know, it's about knowing exactly what you want as well. How can I be of service to you? And how can I be of service to myself as well? So say, if I was working with a client, it was... I was evaluating them. Do I actually want to work with them as well as they were evaluating me? And I think when it comes to vendors, it has to be the same thing. It's got to be a win. You've got to be able to get the service that you require from that vendor. And you've got to have, you've got to be in partnership with them. And I do see it in that way. It is about being in partnership and getting a win for, for both parties. Yeah. And for me, it's similar almost when you're interviewing a company, right? Finding out about the company, finding out about the roadmap, finding about what their strengths and their weaknesses are, and are they going to be adding value to you because that's what you need? And the same with when you're going ahead and you're looking for vendors for your company, what value add are they adding into their company? And are they going to be there for long term? I see them very close. Is that how you view them too? I, I tell people, I, I think they're along the same streams and, and people are failing to do that on both ends, vendor management as well as career management. Yeah, trust comes into it, doesn't it? It, it really is a case of, do I trust this company? Do I trust this salesperson and this team as well? You know, trust is, is everything. And certainly when I've dealt, when I dealt with vendors through my consultancy, my, my first company in security, and certainly as a pen testing company, a lot of those partnerships actually fell through due to trust, which was disappointing. And now, nowadays, when I'm working with vendors, I can do so from an influencer perspective. So I'm not using those products but I'm working in partnership with them. So I want to be really clear on what that company does. What are their values? Do I believe them? Do they have integrity? I need to make sure that their values align with mine. And I want to be able to work with premium brands. And they don't have to be huge companies, but they have to have that attitude. They have to go out and be a premium brand for me to really care about who they're serving and to deliver a top-notch service and to show integrity and to be trusted. And one of the things I look at is I look at their churn ratio for their security teams or privacy teams or compliance teams. I look at see how quickly the executives are churning over. I do things along those time and I think people forget about that. It's not only about the product, but is that company still going to be in business tomorrow or the next day? Or are they looking to be sold to another company? And I've had many times where I've had startups or maybe medium-sized companies that have been excellent products who then get bought out by these bigger companies. And then the roadmap stops and I'm like, I have to switch products because 
it's no longer being serviced in the same way that it has been before. So what other areas do you look at during vendor management versus is it just going to be our need features benefits? Does it meet my dollar cost? When we talk about those other intrinsic things, what should our audience be looking for? Yeah, they've got to look at those things. But the other thing that I naturally look at, I want, I really want to see what that diversity is like. because that's just so important to me. Yeah, I, I like to investigate what's happening on, on that front from a, from a gender, from an age perspective as well. So, yeah, I like to see metrics and yeah, I like to see the commitment. So what are they actually doing? Where can I actually see them being active on those fronts? And our way is to look at what they're posting like on LinkedIn, what things along those lines do they think is really important to them? That's one of the things I look at too, when you talked about holistically, do they do they meet not only you as a person, right? But do they meet holistically with your company's values and where it's trying to go holistically? I think that's one way you can do it too, is LinkedIn or, or other posts and articles. Because I found some companies, I'm like, what you say to me in the sales meeting and what you're posting as a company does not line up and it doesn't line up with who we're presenting ourselves as a company. And I know for contracts, when I've dealt with some bigger com- contracts and they start looking at vendors, having some vendors that didn't line up with the values of my big contracts or us as a company, I've had to drop those vendors. Have you seen that as well too? Yeah, I, absolutely. I have. Yeah. It's like, what is not what you get often. It's, there's an awful lot of virtue signaling out there. So there's nothing that beats asking around. So when it comes to your peers, how have you found them? What's the quality of the service like? What's the team like? Do they actually practice what they preach? So yeah, I I always ask around. You mentioned about looking at diversity of the company and really the leadership as well too. A lot of times people think diversity DEI is only unfortunately in their viewpoint about skin color. And I think it also goes by educational background. It goes by years that you've been in the, the business or some companies out there that let's face it, if you're over 40, they don't think that they want you to work for them. And I think they're missing out. And there's some companies who think if you are not 40, you're not going to be hired. Or if you don't have a college degree, we're not even going to look about how many years you've really put into the school of hard knocks and self-education. I think people miss out on that. What are your views about diversity and especially too, because you and I are women, how women are, are unfortunately negatively affected? Yeah, absolutely. It's It goes on and I'm not seeing it actually improve. I'm tired of us being in the same situation that we were when I wrote my book. And that was, I wrote that book in 2016. So it was published in 2017. So yeah, I'm very frustrated with the situation because I don't see much change at all. I am seeing women being more visible, which is great. That's fantastic. I am seeing them speaking out more. I'm seeing them writing more. So I'm seeing them doing more and being more visible which is great because it's absolutely key for their careers certainly for progressing and advancing in their careers but I'm really not seeing companies do anything at all 
if they are actually doing something, it will be getting a woman in to speak. And usually they're asking that woman to come in and speak for free and to make up her time, however. Um, and the other thing that I see them doing is maybe creating a women's network. And then that's about it. So the changes that we need to really see happen aren't happening because there are other things that I think are more important to them. And most of the leaders are, are guys and they are busy doing other things and they're not a woman. So they just, even when they've got daughters and even when they believe in it, they don't, they can't ever know what it feels like to be a woman. Other priorities are just taking preference for them. And I don't, I don't blame them for that at all because the, the situation for us in, in cybersecurity is really tough at the moment. It's so tough. The levels of burnout are absolutely huge. They're worse than front health, frontline healthcare workers, which is terrible. I spoke to someone the other day. He was working his weekend. He was gonna have be have he was gonna have to travel on Sunday. He'd had a heart attack earlier in the year. The company he was working at had hiring freezers. He was working in a small team. They'd lost four people. They couldn't recruit, and they'd won more business. So he was he his working manner and that the hours that he was putting in were huge and there was no solution yeah it's really it's really tough out there for people what do you think the solution is for burnout i see one of the things i see is we keep getting shifted to the left where we were trying to become chief as part of the, the suite then we became sweet light and now we're pretty much allowed places where sweet non-existent and they really want a security engineer or network engineer or even desktop engineer to be a CISO. And I, I find that one, I think more breaches are going to happen to that, but of course they're going to get burned out. And then, like you said, if you end up having a seasoned CISO come in, then you find out I've joined a job one time. And then immediately they said, we just let 17 of your people go. And I went and say, what? I didn't have those skill sets. And then I had to pick up the slack. I think part of it, it's we're not getting positioned right as a viable department organization and being critical. And I, I see us going back to almost like back when we were 2015, all of a sudden, and, and attitudes. It's almost like we've, we've got the title, but we just don't have, we don't have. Cloud. The, yeah, absolutely. We don't. We're not getting that seat at the table which affects our jobs doesn't it because those decisions are being made without us being there to influence anything and then we get the and and then we have to execute but yeah so it's, it's really tough for sea levels for CISOs right now and the only way I think for change to occur is by CISOs actually doing two things they can step up and they can learn how to communicate more effectively to the people who they are the state and the other stakeholders and the other thing that they can do is push back it's that not tolerating which a lot of them are doing a lot of them are leaving i read a piece from gartner the other day and it said that 25 percent of CISOs would be leaving the industry in the next two years 
that by 2025, 25%, a quarter of our seasides would leave completely. Over 50% or 50% um, would be changing jobs in the next two years. That, did, that didn't surprise me at all because the, the changing of, of jobs is consistent and they, they don't stay in a, in a job for very long on average. It's, it's less than two years, which is half the time for, that a CIO would. For them, the average tenure is four to five years, but for a CISO, it's less than two years. But it's so worrying when you think 25%, a quarter of our CISO may leave. It's a prediction by Gartner. So that for me is really worrying. I do see them moving to startups where they actually have a little bit more control and they can actually get on and do their job. So that's, you know, that that's positive. And the other thing I see them doing is joining big consultancies where they're not responsible for, for the company. They're out there advising what the company has to do, which alleviate, can alleviate the pressure. I think 25 is way understated, especially from all the interviews I've conducted this year. It's probably more around 43%. And I do agree that when they need two years, it's more yeah. like what I see is more like 15 months, which means they really start looking at six or nine months out of the gate. And I think part of the reason for that is I call it the, the great bait and switch. You go through the interviews, you speak with all the leaders, you get all the support. Then you come in and then you're finding out that now they want you to be a security engineer or network engineer, or we want you to do the firewall. I'm not saying that you can't help out points, but you're finding out that what you were thought you're going to be able to do strategically and tactically and being able to do hiring and stuff like that, it's not there. And that's, I, I think, reason why a lot of people are leaving too. We're finding that over and over again. I saw the other day on LinkedIn where two two of Actually, three things. One, they were actually it was an it was a pen tester that they were calling a CISO. I saw another one where it was an AppSec engineer, and then I saw another one where they said two of them. They said one was a CISO, ten thousand dollars a year annual pay, and another one says CISO twenty three to twenty five dollars per hour. I think all four of those are insulting to to CISOs, and I think part of the reason for that. And make sure under, if you agree with me, is that when you look at SOC 2 and PCI and all stuff, they say thou must have a person called CISO, but they're not defining that role. And if they would start defining that role, that would give us more teeth. How do you feel about that, about these regulations, stuff like that, supporting us so then we're not to water down? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's anything that can help us right now. We need help. We need support because we're not getting it by and large. And so I think it's almost like time to revolt. <laughs> I wish know, we could strike, to be honest with you. I'm like, could we have a CISO strike? I, yeah. In concept. I don't want yeah. anybody's data to be breached or anything else, but in concept. Yeah. I, I actually wish we had a union, a, a trade union where, we had a body that could lobby for us because we don't. Speaking to a CISO the other day, actually he was he wasn't a he's not a CISO, he's got his own company, but he was a former CIO and he had acted as a CISO before. But we were communi communicating about a various topic and he needs some lobbying work done. And it's there isn't anyone out there that can lobby. There's no no party, no union 
no organization that can do that. They can all take your money <laughs> pull from you um, through, through memberships. They can offer training and things like that. There's no, no one company out there, no one organization that can lobby on your behalf. And we really need it. I think the one thing that we can do and, and I do is I walk away from a bad situation. I do go ahead and say no. When I find out that there is a bait and switch with what the promising is not going to be there, when you want me to do what for basically what you're playing a marketing person, no offense to a marketing person, but you're going to pay me what you're paying those. No, I'm not going to do that. The self-worth to say no, because there is a company out there who will value you. I That's the one thing that's a problem with the market right now when you do have a lot of people who have been laid off and looking for a job and will grab a job is then they really have cut the pay considerably. And those people are finding that you got way less pay, but you have way too many hours and responsibilities. And then that leads to resiliency and burnout problem. So I think being able to go ahead and say no that there is going to be a better opportunity out there. I think if more people say no to the cut down in the industry, I think that would help us as well too. But some people are going to argue back on, I, I do need the paycheck. Yeah. But that's where that whole money management like comes in, isn't it? Like scribble a bit away for a rainy day when you need it, because then it gives you options. The other thing that I see is, is uh, people who want to move into that CISO role. And they're prepared to take one of those lousy CISO jobs in order just to get the title. And then they'll do it and then use it as a hopping stone to to the next, hopefully, better CISO role. But so it's tricky from that perspective because you've got aspiring CISOs who might be prepared to do that and take it, which doesn't help existing CISOs who are not prepared to take that job with with the responsibilities and the, the way that it's it's laid out so it's difficult and i can't see how that i can't see how that can change actually more breaches are going to happen because they're hiring less experienced people it's better to go ahead and, and hire a really experienced person than maybe bring a person who has the heart and soul and the background and stuff like that to be to maybe be a deputy and train up but i've talked to more people who are finding that there's a lot of I call them pariahs out there. A lot of the younger people out there who I will do anything to step over you. And that's going on in the field too. And I tell people that doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do the industry any good. And you're forgetting about we're in a cyber war at all points in time. And you have to have the best fielding team that has to be able to trust each other at all points in time because it only takes one bad insider or one good insider who made a bad decision to really go ahead and not only bring a company down, but affect thousands and thousands of people that can be a generational negative effect to them and their family. That is the perspective that I think is also being lost of why we're in the field. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thankful I've not worked actually with people like that at all. So most of the time I've had my own company. So I'm building a company and like setting the values and making sure that I've got a team 
that works really well as a team. When I have worked for other companies, I haven't witnessed, I haven't witnessed that. So I'm just, thank, I'm thankful about that. But I have heard the stories in insecurity. There were plenty of, of stories similar to the one that you've just mentioned that are included in there. So yeah, I, I know it goes on. I'm just thankful I've not walked in a place like that. There's been a really big uptick like in the last three years and I nicknamed it the pariah syndrome. That's what I personally have nicknamed it because I've had enough Sissel stories. What we talk about it, it's the people who, I would just say that a lot of us have gotten to where we are because we have put in the 15, 20, 25 years. And it takes a long period of time to be able to have the breadth and the depth of knowledge to attempt to do this job very successfully. Yeah. Quite frankly, I can't understand anyone wanting to be a CISO. <laughs> to me, it's like, why would you want to be a CISO? Oh my God, like, that's, that's a tough gig. Like, talk about pressure. It's, yeah, it's, but some people do and we need them. So go for it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a hell of a job right now. So our time, unfortunately, is running short. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you for advisory services, speaking engagements, and to learn more about your company? Yeah, I would say go to my website, https jane-frankland.com. Great. Jane, thank you so much for being on the show. You are a soulful CXO. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.